Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 5 in just a moment. Um, so I'd go ahead and encourage you uh, on your Bible or on your device to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at just a couple of, of verses there. The New York Times published a curious article that was entitled, For a Fee, Chinese Firm Will Beg Pardon for Anyone. And the article described the services of the Tianjin Apology and Gift Center. It's a company whose task is to deliver apologies and to attempt to facilitate reconciliation between two individuals. The motto of the company is this, we say sorry for you. Hmm. In that same article, um, sociology professor Dr. Zhao at the People's University in China, he, he described why this center is doing such a booming business. He says, the Judeo-Christian tradition in the West is very different from Chinese history. An apology in China involves a formal procedure that is a very stressful process for both parties. He says it's much easier for a Westerner to say sorry than for a Chinese. As a society, this professor said, China lacks the spirit of apologizing. He goes on to say, in an increasingly commercialized society, people here have the idea that you can not only pay money to others to do your work for you, but that also includes apologizing for you. But then he ends the article with this. But if you are sincere, I think you should go and apologize by yourself. Fascinating article. Now, before we start to congratulate ourselves that somehow we're part of a superior culture, just consider what uh, Jesse Jacobs here in America is, is offering. He has made it possible for you to apologize without actually talking to the person that you've wronged. He has created an apology hotline. So people who are unable or unwilling to uh, unburden their conscience in person can do so on a hotline and leave a message of apology on an answering machine. Each week, 30 to 50 calls are coming into this hotline as people apologize from everything from adultery to embezzlement. Jacobs was interviewed and he says this, the hotline offers participants a chance to alleviate their guilt and to some degree own up to their misdeeds. I'm just hoping that these people will feel better just by getting whatever has been bothering them off their chest. He says, one caller on the hotline left this comment. I hope this apology will cleanse me and basically purify my soul. God knows I need it. Hmm. Fascinating. People all over the world, whether they're in church on a Sunday or not, want to see the burden of conflict with someone else removed. They want to have a cleansed and purified soul, as that one hotline uh, recording said. They want to enjoy what God really intends for everybody to enjoy, and that is to have peace and harmony in our relationships with each other. In other words, what people want is Psalm 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, which is kind of the verse for this whole sermon series. But as we know, to resolve a conflict, 
to see our relationship restored, to bring peace where there has been tension and animosity, these things cannot happen by trying to delegate it to somebody else to do for us. So that's why in our sermon series, you and me, when we disagree, it's time this morning to carefully consider the choices we make when we have hurt somebody else. That's why we need to come to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 and verse 24, Jesus in just a few words paints a very vivid scenario. And the scenario powerfully outlines that there are three stages to resolving a conflict when I have hurt somebody else. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and verse 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. There are three stages to resolving a conflict in those two, in those two verses right there. The first stage when I have hurt someone else either in a minor way or in a major way, is the reactive stage. Look at what Jesus says there. He uses the the little phrase, you're there and you remember, verse 23. Okay, now before we dive down deep into the details, let's just appreciate the big picture here for a moment. What is significant about the broad details of the story that Jesus just gave to us? Well, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. An audience who is very familiar with coming to the temple in Jerusalem to worship the God of heaven and earth. So, in the Old Testament worship structure, which was still being practiced mostly in Jesus' day, a person would approach the altar where the sacrifices were burned and they would be bringing a gift. They would be bringing a gift maybe of produce from their fields. They could be bringing an animal from from their flocks. It could even be a container of wine that was going to be poured out before the Lord. But they were bringing a gift. And the gift was a physical symbol which engaged that person in worship before God. So the gift might represent their celebration for who God is. Their gift could be a gift of gratitude and thanks for how good God had been to them, or their gift could be an offering where they're seeking forgiveness from God. It could be any number of those. And the Old Testament Jews were told to come before God three times a year to worship and to seek His forgiveness, to celebrate Him, and to give thanks to Him. So this activity, it's a high priority. Months of planning and preparation have gone into this time of worship. Miles and miles have been traveled by the worshiper to come to Jerusalem in order to have this time of of worship. So, do you see what Jesus is doing? He's describing that very moment when a worshiper is about to offer his gift to the altar. The mind of that worshiper is focused on who God is, all that God has done, his gratitude for it, or his desperate need for forgiveness from God. And then, 
right in the middle of that important time of worship, the worshiper's mind seems to drift. And it jumps to something that appears to be totally unrelated to the immediate event. And it could be something like this. Oh, uh, Levi back home in Galilee is still mad at me because my sheep got out of my pasture and started eating their way through his field of barley. And what does the worshiper do when that kind of a thought comes into his mind? How does he respond to the memory that's forcing its way to the front of his consciousness that right at the culmination of his time of expressing thanks or gratitude or seeking God's forgiveness, that there is somebody that is mad at him? Well, that very question leads us to another question. How do the details here in Matthew 5, why are they significant to my story? Why are they significant to your story? Because they seem to challenge us to wrestle with something. What is most important when what I'm doing seems to me to be most important? See, on the scale of priorities, where do I put resolving conflict with other people? See, the implication of these two verses is that God wants us to take care of our horizontal relationships before we come and start engaging in our vertical relationship. I don't know about you, but how often in worship have I just blown right by a memory that comes to me about an unresolved issue I've got with somebody else. Anybody else do that? You don't have to raise your hand, okay? I'm just, I'm just asking the question. Anybody else do that? I do it. I, I, think, I, 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 I rationalize. I'm busy right now. Or you can think, I'm, I'm tied up in meetings. I'm, my schedule is full. I've invested so much in the direction I'm going. I, I can't stop now. But what Jesus is trying to help us to see is don't be surprised when in the middle of what we do here in Lakewood on a Sunday morning, your mind remembers what seems to be an unresolved issue with somebody else. Don't be surprised by that because it's not unrelated. For if we are here on a Sunday morning to celebrate what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, which is really part of why we gather if we're here because of all that he's done for us, even beyond all of that, then one of the most important things that we remember is how we have been forgiven by our God in heaven. And so as we think about that, as we give thanks to him about that, as we sing about that, even this morning, it creates inside of our minds the fertile soil for the Spirit of God to bring to mind our need of forgiveness then on the horizontal level. And by the way, did you notice, in this reactive stage, the point is not what we think about the issue. The point is that that other person still has heartburn towards us. See, we may have long ago have moved on. We may consider it so minor that we don't even need to address it. But the real issue that Jesus is pointing to is, do they still have something against me? 
That's the reactive stage. How do I respond to being reminded by the Spirit of God that all is not well in my relationship with that other person? Reactive stage. Which then moves us in the story that Jesus tells us to the proactive stage. Notice those words. Go first. Verse 24. Let's look at each of those two words for a minute. Consider the word first. First means there is a reordering of my priorities. Again, remember the question I asked a minute ago, what is most important when what I'm doing seems to be most important to me? So am I willing in in the middle of anything, worship service or anything else, to allow God to reorder my priorities? Can I take something that I would really rather avoid, like having to get face-to-face with someone and talk to them and be reconciled because I've hurt them, am I willing to let that be pushed to the top of my priorities ahead of even coming here on Sunday morning to worship? Well, that's scandalous. That's radical. That's biblical. First. There's a reordering of my priorities. Look at the other word, go. If first is a reordering of priorities, then the word go means that's taking initiative. So Jesus is basically telling us that if we become aware that another person has been hurt by what we've said, by what we did, by what we didn't do, anything about that, then it is my obligation, if I remember it, to take the initiative to resolve it. It simply becomes now my issue to deal with. I mean, look at that. What do you think the word go means? Well, in the Greek text, it means go. I knew you would appreciate that uh, kind of technical thing this morning. Uh, In other words, go get face-to-face with them. Don't mail a card. Don't text them. Don't get on Facebook and try to, try to work it out there. This is a time to sit down with them face-to-face without distractions. It's a time for some powerful words to be said. And that's a great segue to the third stage. If the first stage is a reactive stage and the second one is a proactive stage, the third stage is the declarative stage. Look at verse 24. Be reconciled. Now, before we investigate what that means positively, let's look at what it means negatively. In the stage, the declarative stage, there are some very important things to say, but one of them is not the words, I'm sorry. Don't use that language. Why? Well, the problem with the words, I'm sorry, is that it's like leaving an apology on a hotline. You may say that into an answering machine. Why? Because it will help you to feel better, but it really doesn't satisfy the wounded person who's listening. Again, think about it. What do those two words, I'm sorry, indicate? Well, they can indicate at least three things. One, I'm sorry may only mean I don't like the fact that I got caught. Think of your toddler who took some cookies when 
just before dinner when he shouldn't have. I'm sorry, Mom. Why is he saying it? Because I got caught. We can do the same thing. Second thing, I'm sorry can also only mean I don't like the consequences of what I did. I got grounded. Or third, I'm sorry may only mean I'm deflecting my responsibility. It's the idea of, yeah, it was a mistake, but I really didn't mean it. I'm really not liable for what occurred here. Now, don't get really legalistic about this. I'm not saying the words, I'm sorry, should never, ever be said. But if they are said, it ought to be part of the larger declarative stage where those words are are, are uttered as they're immersed with some other very important communication. See, when we go to someone to be reconciled, because of the hurt we've caused, there are both some internal dynamics that need to occur and then some external language that needs to be said. So let's start with the internal dynamics. What are the internal elements of, that will help you move towards reconciliation as you go to that person? Well, do you remember our study last Sunday in James chapter 4? If you weren't here, I hope you had a chance to to watch it online. James chapter 4 encourages us whenever there is a conflict, not that we're necessarily totally at fault, but at least start by examining your heart. He says, go within. Go within. So reconciliation requires that our heart gets involved. So when we go to meet with that person who we've hurt because we're seeking to be reconciled, we go to them because the Spirit of God has taken our heart through three different stages, excuse me, through four different stages before I even go to him or her. What are they? Well, the first stage is conviction. Conviction. John chapter 16 and verse 8. And he, the Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, we want the Spirit of God to build that sense of conviction in my heart, a sincere recognition that what I did was wrong, that I am at fault here and that I am responsible for my actions. Reconciliation begins with that spirit-led sense of conviction. I've got something I've got to deal with, and I'm going to admit it. Conviction. The second stage, then, that follows, once the Spirit of God leads us to a point of recognizing and having conviction, the second stage is repentance. Mark chapter 1. Verse 15, Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Let's add to that Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. So the word repentance, as you know, means to turn around. It literally means I'm going in this direction, and now I start heading back 
in that direction. I do a 180 degree turn in my attitudes and in my behaviors. Why? Because I am convicted, that was the first step, that what I did was wrong, I am at fault, and I'm responsible for my actions. Therefore, I repent. And once the Spirit of God moves my heart through the conviction stage and repentance stage, He then brings us to the third stage of this internal spiritual process, and that is the, the stage of confession. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Or the well-known one from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, don't jump ahead. At this point, this confession is internal. Meaning, I am admitting, first of all, to myself, and then I am admitting to God the sin that I have committed. It's, it's, first of all, internal. And then that brings us to the fourth stage of these, of these internal elements, and that is we want to seek forgiveness. So Psalm 41 and verse 4, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. 1 John 2, verse 12, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. Again, remember, we're talking about internal now, not out external yet. The first place we seek forgiveness is in the vertical. Our need of forgiveness comes from God before we go and seek it on the horizontal level. Why? Because sin first and primarily is our disobedience to God's law, God's standards, God's holiness. As David says in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. So when we think about going to that other person, seeking reconciliation because of the conflict we've caused, we, we, because we've, we've hurt them, we've caused, and we've wounded them, we come to ask for their forgiveness because we have, first of all, walked through these four internal processes first. Now, once we do that, then what does a sincere seeking forgiveness on a horizontal level look like? How can I make sure that I'm going beyond the words, I'm sorry, when I have the conversation with that individual. Well, based on my training that I've received from peacemakers, let me give you what they've given me, and that is, in this, then there are some external elements. We started with the internal, now let's go to the external elements of, of reconciliation, and there are seven A's of seeking forgiveness. Now, don't worry about it getting necessarily these all written down. <clears throat> when, when you leave, you're going to be given a little card that has all of these uh, on them. So don't worry about it if you don't get them all uh, right now. There are seven A's that we need to keep in mind as we go to that other person and think about having this conversation with them to reconcile over the hurt that we have caused them. What are they? Number one, address everyone involved. 
That's the first A, address everyone involved. What we've done may have hurt more than one person. Or it could be that there were witnesses to the hurt I caused to an individual. In that case, then, we not only need to go to that individual first, but then we need to go to all the witnesses that were there who saw the conflict or pain that we caused. So we need to address everybody involved. Second A, avoid using the words if, but, and maybe. In anything you say, avoid those three words. See, when the words if, but, or maybe are part of the language of seeking reconciliation, what we do is we're minimizing or we're excusing our guilt. Think about each one of those words. It's so easy for us to say, I was wrong to do this to you, but... In other words, I may be wrong here, but so are you. You know, if you hadn't said that to me, I wouldn't have said this back. If you hadn't copped that attitude, well, I wouldn't have copped an attitude. If you had showed up, I then I, everything would be just fine. So when we, put, when we put a but into our apology, we are minimizing, we are excusing ourselves because I may have been wrong, but so are you. What about the word if? Or we could say, you know, obviously you're upset. If I have done something to hurt you, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry. So when we use the word if, we're saying, we don't know what we did. But we know you're angry. So to get you off my back, I'm going to give you a token apology. See how if leads us down that road? Or what about the word maybe? Well, what I did wasn't right. Maybe I should have just tried harder. See, using the word maybe indicates a reluctance to accept responsibility, and what it does is it effectively neutralizes your confession. So avoid, if at all possible, using the words if, but, or maybe. Third A, admit specifically. The more detailed and specific we are in our confession, the more likely we are to receive then back from that person a positive response. Why? Because it communicates to them that we are sincerely and honestly facing the damage that we have done. So be specific and detailed about what happened. Number four. Acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the hurt. They need to know that we see the pain we've caused and we recognize that it is there. Oftentimes it helps to identify the feeling directly. You might say something like this, you know, you must have been incredibly embarrassed by what I said about you in front of those other people. Or you could say something like, you have every right to be angry with me because of, and then ex explaining what you did. Acknowledging the hurt helps them to see that you're trying to put yourself into their place, not just justify or minimize what you did. Number five, accept the consequences. What we did, it may have broken trust between us. 
And we need to accept that because of that broken trust, it's going to probably take time and effort to restore that trust. And so they may not, for a while, respond to us like they used to respond to us. There may need in some situations to be a financial restitution because maybe there were physical damages that occurred. We may have to accept that we're going to get fired. We're going to be asked to to leave the committee or, or something over this. Or as I already mentioned, there may be a need with some of the consequences that we're going to have to go to other people and confess what we did as wrong to them as well. Consequences. Be ready to accept them, whatever they are. Number six, alter your behavior. Alter your behavior, that's just the practical expression of repentance. In other words, tell them, this is not, it is our plan not to ever do this again, what I did, what I said. And this may include needing to express to them your desperate dependence upon God to help you with that attitude, character, or behavior change, or your plan that I'm going to be accountable to somebody else so because I really don't ever want to do this again. And then number seven, and really this is where all of these A's lead to, is ask for forgiveness. Say out loud those four words. Will you forgive me? Now, depending upon the severity of the hurt, you may need to give them time. Don't pressure them for an answer if you sense a hesitation. Don't pressure them to give you a response at the moment when they're not ready. Be willing to give them time to process all this. So if you sense that they're struggling to forgive, tell them you would understand why, you would, why they might find this really difficult. But you hope that in the future they might be able to do so. And by the way, I've often found it helpful and again, depending, it depends on the situation, it depends on the person, and it depends on the severity. But sometimes when we actually say those words, will you forgive me, it so embarrasses the other person that they, just, they don't want to acknowledge that. It's like, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it, no problem. Lovingly and gently say, no, will you please forgive me? <laughs> Can you imagine possibilities of what, if, what would happen if we as a body of believers lived by Matthew 5, 23 and 24. The change that it would bring to our friendships, our, our families, our work environment, uh, just our relationships here as a body of believers in this church. So are you willing to walk through those three stages that Jesus described in this short little story? The reactive stage where I don't dismiss the memory and the need to seek reconciliation. The proactive stage where I make it a priority to to go over other things. And then the declarative stage where I ask God to first of all do a heart work inside me before I then approach that other person and have that important conversation. You see why we can't delegate this to anybody else? We need to go to that individual personally to be reconciled. Folks, that's supernatural stuff, isn't it? 
but by the grace of God. We can walk with Him through it. And we can then come out on the other end enjoying the incredible experience of living in peace in every single one of our relationships. Let's pray about that. Father, we really do need your grace to do this. Because you know our natural human instinctive response is going to be to defend ourselves, to declare that it really isn't necessary, that if they just weren't so sensitive, we wouldn't be having to have this conversation. If they were just more mature, they just would be able to deal with it. Father, our natural response is to protect, to justify, to rationalize and excuse, and we admit that. And that's why we need your grace. Father, we need your grace to help us to have humble hearts. We need your grace because, Father, you need to change our hearts. And we need grace because others' hearts need to be changed and softened too. Lord, we need your grace because we need the courage to take the initiative when we'd really rather not or we'd really rather wait until that other person takes the initiative. Father, this gets so muddled so quickly, especially when things go on week after week, month after month. But Father, I thank you for in these short few words, in the picture and story that Jesus gave us, you kind of clarify so much. So Father, I pray that you would help us, your people, to sincerely take that story of 2,000 years ago and help it to be a part of our story today. That we might live in that good and pleasant unity with others as Jesus Christ gets glorified. Father, that's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.